I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are Two, two guys, guys on Block, Block Island. And we are back for some more great chat with uh, David Lewis. Well, I thought I might also make some mention of the jo- various different things I did for jobs, summer jobs, year-round jobs, whatever, during my preteen years and through my teenage years until I got out of college. We love these yeah, stories, I love by the way. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. So some of them might raise, will raise memories, eyebrows, or questions. So anyway, trust me, there is an eyebrow an eyebrow razor at okay. the end. Love it. All right. Um, so, okay, my first, my first job as a pre-teenager, cutting grass for Brain a Day behind the Redbird. Okay. I know, I, obviously, I, used, I must have been a preteen. I certainly wasn't driving because I had no lawnmower to deliver because I couldn't deliver it. <laughs> but anyway, he gave me a dollar and a quarter an hour and always a cold soda in the middle or at the end. And I, whenever he wanted the grass cut in the back, I would cut the grass. And, of course, in those days, the grass went over to behind the gables or the Darius. And, you know, I don't know really where it where it ended but it took me two and a half hours to do so that's all probably all you need to know big big lawn gas mower or one of the push ones with the things because it, it, it was a four cycle oh, gas, okay no, okay oh, wow. a push, mo- push mower but it had an engine yes like i did a couple of lawns when i was a kid and it was just the thing my, with the you know the the, the, the harvester the, on yeah it, my, right? the, yeah so yeah. okay cool. that, that was his good mower <laughs> yeah being a four cycle you know yeah then he asked me if i would want to do his up the lawn at his house too so that's the what many people would recognize as the adrian on old town road now oh okay brandon and laura live there a childless couple so up there he had a two-cycle motor and i couldn't stand the way that thing operated but that's okay i the work was good and it was i it was always ice cream to buy right that's right cream. yeah <laughs> so anyway i did that and then my portfolio of mowing expanded to and i don't really have a good sense of whether these were my early teenage years there must have been or maybe i was driving i don't really remember because the next one was gladys stedman asked me to mow hers up on sunset hill gladys stedman's house up there i don't know who owns it now but it's just before you get to willis dodges and Kerry todd's okay. and the kylie yeah, compound. yeah and of course everybody we all remember Gladys Hodge, but she's been long gone, and she was Aunt Gladys to so many in the communities, and who knows where that came from. Yeah, but yeah. Um, the she was a she was the girlfriend or f- friend, I should say. Don't want to be too precise of Bill Lewis, who was a distant a second cousin of the Lu- in the Lewis family from my branch, my branch, and uh, he owned the National Hotel back in the days when it was. Almost closed, if not closed. But she still wanted to get the lawn cut, which is really on the front banks. Those were when, when there were still front banks in front of that building. Yeah. And uh, those banks have since been taken out and they're now, undergr- now underground shops. So anyway, that wasn't an easy job. So I, I, I would mow those for Gladys. And then I, I was also mowing the Historical Society because she was in, somehow oversaw getting the lawn cut at the Historical Society. So that was kept me in ice cream money anyway. Um, now, so and then that, that expanded. Ultimately, I also cut the grass down at Anna Ball's house. Anna Ball was Martha Ball's grandmother, and she lived. Anna Ball lived in a house on Old Town Road, 
the turtle lives in now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just a little okay. small little thing, but um, had a big enough yard to make it worthwhile for pushing Momoa by hand, that is. Yeah. <laughs> and ironically, Turtle now is a landscaper. Yeah, now it's owned by a guy who mows lawns. Yeah. Yeah. You can't make it up, lawns. right? Yeah. And if if those things are true to mar- true to form, his co- his grass gets cut last. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cobblers, it's children. It's like all my no friends shoes. that are carpenters out here, like oh. they're, nothing's finished it's, in their house. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Then, um, oh, so I need to mention cutting Cutting and selling lobster, to, uh, lobsters. That's the next line. Cutting and selling codfish tongues. Now, nobody probably knows what a codfish tongue is. Uh, nope. Okay. I didn't know fish had tongues. Oh, they do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Especially codfish. They have ones that some people, the old timers, would love to eat. I never wanted to go near one. Really? Yeah. They were delicacies? Or oh, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Well, eat a cow's tongue. Why wouldn't but you eat it, a codfish tongue? Mm-hmm. I've had the codfish cheeks. Where they cut codfish, the little, right. The codfish cheeks. But the it's tongue. actually your superintendent. This is the tongue. So the, so there was a market for this. They, very small. <laughs> and, and, but niche market. The, the niche market. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. So I, I don't know. Michael Wagner, Michael Wagner um, at one point married to, uh, does, do we all know Michael Wagner? I do, he yes. He graduated from Black, Black Island School. Power company power, before he retired. Power com- yep. Before yep. he retired. Thank yep. you. I could, was having trouble bringing all those things up. Yeah, yeah. So he's been off the island now for a couple of decades, I think. Yeah, I'd say so. He didn't really retire so much as he married. Uh, not, move, just moved. Moved, yeah. Moved. yeah. Um, so we were talking about codfish tongues. He, he and I were, he competed with each other because- where do you get a codfish tongue? Out of the head of a codfish. So when the, the people like Linus Dodge and Alan Hall and Ole Olson, people who go codfishing in the in the in the sea, off in the winter and winter and late fall, and would ship um, ship those codfish to market. Not only there was no local market here to sell all of those codfish. Not that they caught tons and tons, but enough to supplement yeah. their income, and. Typically, they would cut the heads off a codfish that was roughly bigger than greater than eight pounds. Yes, and those heads became harvestable for fish tongues. Free and free. Nobody charged you to take them, right? They you could no, because they would throw them overboard. Once in a blue uh, one, they might cut them and take them home themselves. But you know, they were happy leaving them in a basket for me. I was just gonna say, did you have to be there, or would they leave them for on you? On Saturdays and Sundays, you needed to be there because otherwise Michael would get them. <laughs> 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 the competitive codfish tongue market, right? Oh my gosh! Um, but I, Linus Stodge would always put them in a basket, and Alan Hall too. And I'd go down after school, get go on their boat by myself, and just cut them on, cut them there. You throw the head over, and you take the take the tongue home in a plastic bag. Each tongue. How big were the tongues? Well, probably. I guess okay. like oh, that. So, so like the size of a person's silver dollar, a little larger than a silver dollar, let's say. Let's say three silver dollars. Three silver dollars. Side by side. Hmm. Gotcha. And, you know, obviously it depends on the size of the codfish as well. But what you had there with the codfish tongue was the flesh that we would have underneath our own j- jaws. Yeah. When we would up, go up and scratch the underside of our neck yeah. line. And then there's the tongue, which is much more gelatinous, and I never wanted to go near it. The The underside was, was more flesh-like, but the tongue was the gelatinous. But you'd cook the whole—one would cook the whole thing. I never had one cooked for me, and I never wanted to go near one. Could you imagine that your job is to carve these things out, but you've never seen one cooked or eaten it? 
Like, yeah. Just they I, just yeah. they yeah. just go away and people what did you charge for a codfish? Fifty tongue? cents a pound. Fifty cents wow. a pound. Right. So I'm guessing that's like what, four or five codfish tongue? Oh, probably more. Probably seven or eight. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's still a pretty good deal. If well, you it was, me. yeah. You know, I, th- this didn't buy many ice cream cones. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I, the only custom, the only customer I can really remember was Merrill Slate's mother. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, Merrill Slate's wife, Virginia. Her mother and father were Bill and Laura Dunn down where uh, Lynn Paquin's house is today, uh, over there on Beach Avenue, where it intersects with with Connecticut. Uh, Intersex with the neck road. Yep. Yeah. That was where that was Bill Dunn's house and Laura Dunn, and they were the parents of Virginia Slate, who is now deceased, long ago deceased. So the, you never ate a codfish tongue yourself, correct? Uh, but do you were you aware of how they would prepare it? Was it just boiled? Did they make a codfish tongue sandwich? Like how how would they eat these? A skillet fried is skillet my fried. Underst- is my understanding. Okay. I've had I've had codfish roe. Have you ever had that? Oh yeah, yeah. I've no. I didn't particularly care for that. My dad loved it. I wasn't a huge fan, but I. But it was edible. Yeah, and, you know, and you know, you would boil the the sack of eggs, and yeah. then you could slice it with a knife, and then you could really hit it's it. A in the big thing in and... Italy. It's called batarga. Really? Are you aware of that? Yeah. It's. Uh, I forget what kind of fish it is. It's not a cod. Maybe it is a cod. I don't know. Anyway. Wow. Pretty. Uh... Yeah, codfish. Like codfish I think we have to try it now. Am I crazy, or do we have to try uh, no. codfish? No, I, I think we have to order. No, I'm down. Yeah, we have to try to find some, and then yeah, do a I wish lot, I'd do a taste test. Chris Willie caught some codfish the other day. Oh yeah, he I said wish he caught I a red codfish. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to digress. I'm just int- I'm, I'm yeah, intrigued yeah, by codfish. Yeah, the weirdest things interest me, and so, I love the job. Like yeah. this was your job, in, in, and, and that was that more like a supplemental job when there was no grass to cut. So the winter came, and you could. Make yeah. a little bit of good old, just getting the- It's one of those cherished mem- memories. I'm not sure it was very lucrative or I did it for a long time. Oh, yeah. I, I, cod fishing was dying off pretty quickly back yeah. then in the early 60s anyway. Yeah. my I mean, my cherished memories was setting up- I, I was a bowling pin setter for the nuns at my Catholic school. You know, They had like a little private bowling alley and I set up the bowling pins and- Certainly didn't pay any money and wasn't an enjoyable job, but for some reason it's very fond of my Well, memory. you needed to get that out of the out of the- Church environment and get it into a real commercial venue like oh. I did. <laughs> so I, were those duck pins or ten pins or what? The uh, the regular whatever the regular set pins. Duck did. pins, I think. Yeah. No, 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 mine were the duck pins are a little smaller yeah. and rounder. These were the oh, full size okay. pins. Yeah. Ten pins. There's yeah. a pin. You sat down there and the, there was a pedal, and there was these the holes. Each hole, each spot where a pin went, there was a hole, and you'd step on the pedal, and the metal pins would shoot up out of the floor. And you'd put the pins, there's a hole in the bottom of each bowling oh, yeah, pin. Yeah, keep so on. I'm saying pin and pin. A little metal rod would come up and there would be a hole in the bottom of the bowling pin. And you'd put one pin on each of the spikes. Yeah. And then when you release the pedal, that would sink back down to the floor and that was you'd that. have to jump out of the way before Sister Mary Magdalene threw a, <laughs> threw a seven pounder down the alley. At you. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I would never have imagined that story. Yeah, well, I mean, all, know, that, all those mechanisms. I. In you a man, know, in your man, in a manual setting. Yeah, that's you know, and you know, probably a dollar twenty-five an hour. <laughs> so Cliff Rose and I used to set pins over at the, you know, there was a bowling alley on Block Island. Oh, behind at the behind was the Empire the Theater at the Seacrest, in the, right? in in the, the Seacrest building. I've heard yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. So that was a that was an adult league, men's and women's, back in my earliest memory. I was, but at some point it was just a men's league. 
And I remember on occasion, Cliff Rose and I would be asked to go in there and set pins and for the night. And, if, you know, you took your life in your hands oh, back yeah. there. Yeah. These, were, these were duck pins. <laughs> okay. But those balls are coming oh. down fast enough and the pins are flying in every direction. Yeah, they're ricocheting and, around. And, and they're no. ricocheting. We, so the, the, about, about four feet, up, three feet above the, above the, the alley floor, the alley itself is a platform that we would sit on and that yep. platform and its vertical face was um, packed with upholstery and feathers and all kinds of stuff Same that would come me, flying yep. out just to protect the ball, I guess. Yeah. Not yeah. to protect me. <laughs> Not yeah. But, you know, just about every allergen you could want was coming flying down that. <laughs> and then you, that. And you pull them out and you put them on the thing, right? And send the balls back. Is that how you guys did yeah, it? Yeah, we put the ball, sent the balls back and like we had this, to set yeah. every pin on the dot. You didn't have Manually. any. You didn't have any fancy contraption. Oh, you like didn't have contraption. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It would shoot. Yeah. You know, you'd step and it would come up and you put them on there. Yeah, not back in the day, Rich. They did it the old-fashioned oh, way, pal. Sorry, I didn't work hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, just one memory coming falling out of that. Like we were Cliff and I were setting pins, um, the night that Cassius Clay beat Sonny Liston. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's a that's a memory. Just yeah. by coincidence, you've got a great memory, by the way. I do. I mean, I he just so you're not in the studio. David did bring a couple of cheat sheets, but I hardly see him glancing at them. He's he's, he's definitely you know he, he's got he, it. He's got it. Yes. So, wow. And what, was that the hair? Was that the eyebrow razor? No, did no. Did we get to the eyebrow oh, razor? Oh, oh. That did raise eyebrows, it but did. in a different, in a different way. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. let you know when we get to the dips, okay. the eyebrow razor. Oh wow. Well. And All then right. you'll say <laughs> you're right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So. I, I wouldn't laugh. My brother had a stick boat, like the old Leona that Stanley Smith used to have. Been out on that boat. Right. I have, yeah. So that, that, the boat Lillian D, my brother bought that from my grandmother's second husband. That was Maisie. She was married to a fisherman named Mel Rose. And my brother bought that, and he was lobstering in that boat when somewhere in his college years. And, uh, he would have about he had about a hundred pots that he was fishing commercially, and I worked for him for one season, paying me so much a trawl, and uh, that helped me buy a small transistor radio that year. So that was always helpful. But then I bought his little work skiff, and I started sending pots on my own with my own license, and that was great fun. And I also fished with a gentleman named Charlie Briggs, who you might remember. Yeah, it was again. We're talking in the '60s. No, it's no I don't remember you. him. But I don't know when he actually left Block Island because I worked for him for three years, and at some point he moved back to Little Compton. Uh, um, he lived. He he built a house. He was a carpenter in the off season, and he built a little single cabin ranch that's right across from Omar Littlefield's house on Center Road. Yeah, and there's a what used to be a, a work shed. Lobster, lobster material storehouse um, in the back, which I suspect is another accessory accessory dwelling of some sort now. Oh, but, you know somebody's living in yeah, there. Yeah, right. in there. Yeah. It ain't just lobsters. But, no. Right. <laughs> that was, that was a, a great experience for me, and obviously he wanted some help. And in the, um, the first year I worked for him, I was, was not even 16. I don't remember quite how old I was. And he paid me a fifth of a share, which seemed like a fortune at the time. A fifth of the share. Right. And that's still to this day is a practice on boats. Right. So much for you're 
you're the first mate, you get a share and a half, but everybody else, you, you're new, you get a half a share. Right. And, you know. The greenhorns. So, yeah, that's how they, yeah. that's how the money on the boat's described, right? A share. But that was, that was hard work, and he and I didn't always get along, because me being a kid, under 16, and him being old and crotchety single guy. Um, you both knew everything. <laughs> <laughs> he had high expectations, and I, as do I. So it was just a matter of... Uh, I wasn't ready to go back doing that with him again the next season. However, two seasons later, I was ready to go back, and he increased my share to a third for that season and the following season. Nice. Uh, we used to, in August, we'd take pots offshore. Um, everybody knows where Southwest Ledge is, and with that buoy, that, there's a buoy out there marking Southwest Ledge. Yes. Fewer people are aware that there's a buoy called the Fairway Buoy about four to five miles southeast of Southeast Light. It's oh. out there. It used to be called the fairway buoy because all the big steamers back in the 50, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and even to today, that would be fairway, that would be the fair going to circ- come out of Narragansett Bay or come out of around the Cape Cod, okay. tip of Cape Cod or the Cape Cod Canal, circle around the fairway buoy and then head down south wherever you're going. You know, that was the all clear buoy as far as piloting goes. Oh, yeah. And we're yeah. requiring it. Did they have pilots back then? Or well, yeah. They did. So yeah. you, the pilot is, you know what the pilot is, the pilot boat. Like, no, even I don't. now, a lot of accidents you hear about it's because they have, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So if you're if a large ship, and you can correct me because I may not know exactly what I'm talking about, but pretty much at some, there's a, there's a point where a large ship coming into these waters is uh, the pilot boat. And if you're on the Block Island Ferry and you look a little deeper into the harbor, you'll see it a lot of times docked over there for for this area. And the pilot goes out, meets the ship, and takes control. From that point on, it's no longer the captain. I mean, the captain's still the captain, but the pilot is now responsible to navigate the waters. And so the pilots are basically specific to their area, and they know those waters. And that's how you keep, you know, because some of this captain may have left, you know, Antarctica or where you know yeah, somewhere else has never there. been here. Right. So no idea. Navigates the ship through the open water. And did I describe that pretty accurately? Yeah, and yeah. it's treacherous though. Some of the there's some videos online of the pilots trying to enter and exit the the ship, and there's like ten foot swells, and they're the, you know the little pilot boat is going up and down eight ten feet, and they're trying to grab like a rope Whoa. ladder. And you'll also see a pilot hatch on most ships where it there's a you know a lower hatch that's uh, you know they don't have to climb all the way to the top of the ship. But interesting, I never yeah, knew that. Yeah. Well, that's the pilot's job. Uh, did, did you just say that there was a pilot boat occasionally still coming in and out of Old Harbor? No, I've only seen it over, I'm sorry, uh, correction, uh, where the Block Island Ferry docks in Point Judith. I've seen it. Uh, so if the boat's docked and you look on the other side and to the right off the bow, I've seen it parked there a few oh, times. Oh, okay. And I don't know if that's where it's stationed. You know, it may yeah. be... Why go all the way back to Groton if you've got another ship coming in an hour or two, you know, so that, but right. I've seen it there before and it says, you know, right on the side pilot, but yeah, huh. and you'll hear a lot of maritime disasters because they didn't wait for the pilot or, you know, they just, decided, they were like, I got this, I got this <laughs> and guess what? You no, know you don't. <laughs> no, you yeah. don't. Yep. There, you know, you, you know that there was a pilot boat that lived here. I did not. Oh yeah. It was called the Lispasso, L-I-S-P-A-S-S-O. And that. Referred to Long Island Pilots, Long Island Pilotage Association. It was a, a group of men, but I typically only saw the same one or two men. But they had a boat that was stationed on Block Island. And uh, that goes back to from the early 60s. And I'm not sure. It was, there was only one operator of it named Dick Latham. My brother was close friends with him. 
and we'd all we would all have at various times have gone out to with him on a trip to go out and either pick up a pilot or drop one off. Um, and he would go out in heavy weather. He used to. So I don't know when he. I don't know when he retired from that. It was probably somewhere in the mid seventies. And I don't know that there's been another full time boat out here ever since. Now this is all private industry operating this. So right. Nothing. Yeah. Com, nothing. All purely commercial. Nothing government. But Dick Lathan used to say that he never listened to the weather forecast. Never listened to the weather forecast because he had to go regardless. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's so scary, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. We I mean, out- he, he would go out on day. He obviously had to go out on days when the boat didn't come. Yeah, the ferry wasn't running to Block right. Island, but the pilot boat still had to go out and meet the ship because right. they were on a schedule. That's they were right. trying to get into port, you know. Wow. I wouldn't want to be the pilot that holds up like 30 guys that have been at sea for three months. No. And, you know, and then you got to get on. And they were like, you were supposed to be here yesterday. Yeah, it's a little different than being late picking up your friend from yeah, the airport. You maybe. Know, if you hold them up. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, not good. Mm-mm. So moving to the moving to my last summer job when I was a kid. Um, I'll just mention in passing. I'm sorry. I'll just mention in passing. The last summer job I had in a kid before I started college was pumping gas for John Thomas at the at the gas station when that was the only gas station in town. Which which where is it was which is over there where Robbie Murphy Robbie still Murphy does his shot. work. Yeah, yeah, still does his work. So John was a John Thomas. His that business was actually owned by his mother in law. Uh, he was married to Mabel Thomas, who was married to to Mike. Ma Ballard was what I don't remember what her first name was, but That's, Ma Ballard yeah. got you. Everybody knew who Ma Ballard was. So if John was a very nervous kind of guy, he was one of those guys who, when you'd go up to see if he could repair your car, car he was too busy to talk to you to tell you if he could repair his car or not, or to, or to, make, or to even schedule when You know the type. Do you think that Ballard name carried forward to like Ballard Oil? You know, and when because then the McGinnises. Oh, that is together. the origin of the. That's na- the of origin that of that name. Right. Learn something big there right there. Go. Okay. Because Ma, so Ballad, Ma Ballad, of Ballads, I have Ballads in. Made the, did you make that connection? No. Okay. Ma Ballad and her husband owned Ballads in when Mabel was a was a child, and they owned that destroyed in hurricane thirty eight hurricane. I'm not sure when they owned that, but it was destroyed. They had one child named Alice. So Mabel Ballard, which is the Ballard family, married John Thomas. And I'm not sure he, how broad his family might have been if it had any breadth. And um, they had one daughter named Alice Thomas, who actually was the lone senior one year in my in my memory, graduating right? class of one, graduated, and she died of a brain tumor in the, sometime before the year ended. Oh, no. very right. sad circumstance wow. for the community. Yeah, wow. So, so little little might, side history so on no that. No graduating class that. No year. graduating class that year. Tragic. Yeah. Wow. wow. But the yearbook was still published, and that was she was in memoriam. Of course. Like, yeah. 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 Wow. So, I wonder if that's the only time there's been zero graduating class on Block Island. I've uh, never heard that before. I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah. You know, I've never. So, well, hmm. probably nobody really knows that. It probably was an irrelevant question until a new school was built in 1933. Yeah. When it became right. a consolidated school. Yeah. Hmm. So, 
So just moving on to summer jobs during my college years. Was that the eyebrow razor? It's coming. <laughs> I'm on pins and needles, David. Oh, yeah, I guess we'll go. We'll give it to you right now. One summer, it was the summer after I graduated college, I guess. I was working for Lita Corporation myself. They were the successor to Weldon Dodge's business, so that they didn't buy him out. They put him out of business, and it was a good time to retire. Ed Adele was the leader, was Adele spelled backwards. So Ed Adele started this co- company just like Weldon Dodge's, just like Maine Transus, Mike Ernst, et cetera, earth-moving stuff. And... <clears throat> So I worked for him for four, uh, four, four years in college, and I, my year I graduated, I continued because I didn't have any plans to what to do after that once I get out of college. That summer, I took a job. Ben McAloon was the chief of police, and he was looking for police dispatchers, and he asked me if I wanted to be a police dispatcher. So I did. I didn't want to be one, Wait, but I was. You... I was looking to for the the additional work. Okay. So I was a police dispatcher three times a night, three times a week, three nights a week for the whole Whoa. summer, and I was armed with a handgun as a dispatcher. As a dispatcher, because I might get, have to get called into backup situations. That's true. You never That's know. True. And yeah. with fifteen minutes of training in Weldon Dodge's old Sandport, which is up there, <laughs> you know, past the airport. I was armed and ready. Well, that's more than most people. I would have never in a million years thought that that would be What would anybody have imagined? What could anybody have been imagined? What could possibly go wrong? Did you ever have to draw your gun? Never. But I did have to go out on a call one night, not as a backup, as a primary. Well, that's how it is out here. You got to cover. You (laughs) got to cover. So Uh, anyway, that's the eyebrow. Were you nervous? That was the eyebrow raising. were Were you nervous? Like when you had to go to a call without, when you weren't backup? I get, well... I knew what it was. I can't remember what it was now, but something modest, like a bicycle and dog or situation down by. Okay, good. Um, look, I don't know who lives there now, but next to Petey's, there's a long, there's a there's a long, a long building there. Yep. Yeah. Or maybe it's a second two story house now. I can't quite remember what's there, but um, back in the '60s, Louis Louis Gaffet had a, uh, a a country store there, and. I thought you were going to it say was, a bar. It, it was, it, <laughs> yeah. it was Lycurgus Negus's old funeral parlor, funeral undertaking parlor back before I was born. Wow. Yeah. So huh. anyway, that takes care of the summer jobs. Those are right. pretty good. The, the, I'm still in. I think the codfish tongue is my favorite of your summer jobs. The codfish tongue cutting. Yeah, business I, that's that you well, it's a good strangest one. I've it's ever a good heard. story. That's but, why but I like knowing it. you, um, I would have never expected you'd be dispatched with a gun like that's. Just not. It's not. I still have my BB gun. Yeah, well, that's fine for a rat or two here and there, but you know, oh man, I've never shot anything larger than a BB gun either. So me neither. Yeah, right. Oh, sorry, just kidding. So, so after the the jobs, and sorry, where'd you go to school? College. I was lucky enough to go to Harvard. Oh, you went to Harvard, right? Ah. Second block island to to go to Harvard. How did you like Harvard? I loved it. Did you? Right. Um, Samuel Niles was back in the 18th century. In the, back in the 1800s, Samuel Niles was the first. Now, okay. there's no connection between him and me. Okay. From Block Island, you mean? From Block Island. You mean he didn't okay. put in a good word for you? He, <laughs> he didn't, didn't know. He okay, didn't. Yeah. Um, actually, I probably did not get in accepted on the basis of my college boards, which were respectable, but not good enough to be a single point of. Uh, 
recognition. But they were like, hey, we've never had a student that's like started their own codfish tongue cutting business. So <laughs> let's that, get them in And that here. didn't make my application either. <laughs> what was it? But what was the selling point? I diversification. I had a, I had a, I had a great community service uh, application. Um, and but on top of that, I had an even better interview. Oh, with ah. both the, um, the some banker and on the schools and scholarship committee in Washington Trust locate the Rhode Island Schools and Scholarship Committee located in Washington Trust and full of bankers, and then he made a phone call phone call and sent me up to talk to the the head of financial aid in the admissions office in Cambridge that same afternoon. Wow! But I aced both of those interviews. I oh, literally aced those. And you that charmed made the difference. You charmed yeah. them. I even got my grandmother into the into the interview with the financial aid office because he was amazed about the stories of her being a cab driver on Black Island. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that we literally just talked about this the other day. Um, you know, my wife Katie and I, when we go on vacation, we live in, home base is Mystic, Connecticut for us. That's where our home is. But when we go out on vacation and bump into people from other places, hey, where are you from? Where are you from? We say Block Island just for the simple fact it's more interesting to talk about. Right. You know, it gives right. us, they're like, you live on an island. But yeah, I could see where that could get you some mileage. Yeah. But you it, know, it still helps students to this day. Oh, the, yeah. The, the, the fact that you're from Lock Island, um, you know, I'm not saying by any means that you could be, you know, a dumbass and get into Harvard just because you no, grew up no, on Lock no, Island. But, but they do love that diversity. It, like, I think it dovetails into, without being said specifically, Survivor. You, yeah. you, you, you know what right. I mean? And that, that means something to them that you're you're not you know and not, at, at, a, at a place yeah. of higher learning you would you would think they want a unique perspective and, we, we've I mean, made, living on an island certainly yeah, we've made jokes about towns with strip mall after strip mall right cookie cutter towns cookie cutter school systems and it's just so different here that yeah. it, uh, it does help so even back then it was you know coming from block island and going to, to a night really good school yeah you know but you know it, it's not so much a reflect it's it's a a modest reflection on me it's a stronger reflection on how, where the Block Island School was coming from and where it was headed. Yeah. Because there were trailblazers before me and there have been trailblazers after me. Yeah. Of kids getting accepted in good colleges and that yep. continues just today. I mean, going back six or seven years before me, Billy Ball went to Brown. Yep. My brother was accepted at his main maritime academy, with, which was his choice. Um, Carol Lee went to RISD. My sister went to Vassa. Bernice Rose was right there along with her going to Rhode Island College. Um, Bernice Rose being Clifford Rose's sister. And, um, there's my sister, myself, Georgia Hall went to Vassa. Did I say my sister went to Vassa? I think, I think so. you did, yeah. Georgia Hall yeah. in my class went to Vassa. Martha Ball went to Drew University. Patty Donnelly went to Salva Regina. We've had a string of Brown yeah. students in this last decade. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, Silas yeah. Manje. Yeah. Tia go there as well? Yeah, uh, yeah I think so. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That Brown, what was Brown you mentioned? Yeah. Well, yeah, it just conti that Brown string just continued. Yeah. Almost, uh, I don't know what the period periodicity, but enough, enough to be noteworthy. Yeah. Every two years, every three years, maybe every, depending on who was, who the candidates were. But there were, there's a two hands. There's more than two handfuls of names. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can go. Yeah. Certainly a mm -hmm. testament to educators past and present on Black right. Island. What did, you go, what did you attend for? What Let me just major? say that all ties back into the stronger the community than the one I grew up in. 
that evolution of the strength of a community, the viability of a community, the ability to invest looking forward in yeah. the community and making it better than it was a decade ago. You know, it reflects it in just about everything we do. And do we take pay taxes for that? We do. And they're not cheap. But And there's a, there's a mental cost to living here and being a survivor. Yes. But we also... We also like to think we can see those rewards. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all pain. Yep. That's one of the things we try and look at on on the podcast here are the, you know, look, this is the really hard part about Block Island, but you know what? Here's the really good part. Right. And it's, it it is, it's a double-edged sword. And let's face it, at this point, we're all reaching reaching the age of- putting our futures in the hands of that, that next generation. That's right. This is true, yeah. And it's getting, there is, I think the real estate is definitely going to change. I, I don't know what to expect in the coming decades because it's 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 kind of getting to be difficult now where a majority of kids who were born, raised here, had the survivor and the, and the, the raised by a village mentality. They can no longer afford to, be here you right. know and i think that's going to be the challenge um going forward is you know is it, and that same challenge causes it you know we're i think we're starting to see more and more outside i don't want to say outsiders in a negative way but not born and raised or even long-term block island people filling positions running the town and stuff like that and i think that's you know it's tricky it's tricky to find the right person who can get the vibe and feel it and love it and and care as much and look with the forethought rather than just as it's a job right? and, I mean. and understand and respect the you know what block island again the families have gone through to to make this place what it is now because yeah. it may be lost on some of those people or not mm. even on the radar for that matter i this agree that that's the main that's the principal worry going forward yeah yeah um you would say something i actually might have cut you off I don't remember. Oh, okay. It, he was oh, probably making know. stuff up. He does. We no, do this all. We make oh, I was up, asking yeah. you what you went to Harvard for. What you? What was your major? Oh, yeah. Ah, well, let's leave that to a little, late, little later. You got okay. it, over, boss. Over another time. You dri- you're in the driver's seat. I'd like to talk about some of the, the island people that have made a difference in my life. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So We this, love to talk about people. This is the kind of thing I usually can't say without getting teary-eyed, but I, I think I can get it through, through it today. Well, we can, and uh, if we you do, that's hankies, fine. I'm yeah. ready to go. You know what? Before you start, should we take a quick break and uh, check in with our sponsors? Yeah, let's do that. All right. We'll be right back with you in just one minute. Hey, Rich, do these bell-bottoms make me look fat? Bell bottom. Oh, wait. It must be Monday, and you're going to disco night at Captain Nick's. Well, yeah, of course I'm going to disco night at Captain Nick's. I'm the DJ, man. I got to be there. <laughs> that place is so much fun. So much fun. And the fun doesn't end after Monday, because on Tuesday and Wednesdays, we have dueling pianos, followed by Dr. Wes Chesterson's sloppy seconds. What are sloppy seconds? Well, that's when I play the piano for the rest of the drunk people there at the end of the night. Well, that sounds fun in itself. And Thursdays, they've got live acoustic acts and full bands and DJs. Yeah. And Friday and Saturday afternoons, we have acoustic acts on the deck at 5.30. Uh, Fridays are Delaney, and then Saturday is our buddy Rob Davis. And then Friday and Saturday nights, they've got the best live bands on Block Island, like Derek and the Fun Bags, The Blushing Brides, Fever, Neil and the Vipers, West End Blend, and the High and Mighty Brass Band, just to name a few. Yeah, and uh, the bands aren't over just because Friday and Saturday night ends. On Sunday afternoons, the Young Guns take the stage on the deck at 5.30. Sunday fun day, and what if you're hungry? They got food. 
food, right? Yeah, for sure. All right. So they've served food out of the Captain Galley seven days a week, including some late night grub. So, you know, if you're hungry, stop in late night and grab a bite. Yeah. And if you want to check out the full entertainment schedule, let's just head over to CaptainNick'sBI.com. Cooler? Check. Ice? Check. Drinks? Check. That's everything. All right, let's head down to Fishworks. All right, I'm excited for this trip. I am too. And I, you know what's cool about Fishworks is, I mean, hey, today we're going to go out and try and catch some uh, striped bass, right? But you can get bluefish, fluke, sea bass, bonito, whatever's in season. Yeah, you can book a light tackle or fly fishing morning charter with Captain Chris for up to three people. Right. Oh, wait a minute. I invited some friends, so we might have to go out on the Harley with Captain Hank because uh, they do half trips and full day trips for up to six people. Oh, and Captain Hank is a hoot. And, of course, the shop, you know, the Fishworks Tackle Shop, they have everything you need, including pointers. If you don't want to go on a charter, they can sell you what you need, tell you where to go and how to do it. Yeah, totally. I think I might pick up uh, a hat and a T-shirt, too, because their merchandise is so on point. Yeah, good-looking stuff. They're located at 40 Ocean Avenue, and they're open every day in season and great merchandise. They really do have some cool stuff. And uh, if you want to check it out online, you can purchase all year long at www.bifishworks.com. All right. How cool is that? Ah, I love it. All right. Let's go catch some fish. Hey, Rich. Yeah? I am starving right now. So I want to go somewhere that's intimate, but has really great food and kind of a fun atmosphere. So you know what? I think I'm going to head down to Eli's. Well, they got to be doing it right. They've been there since 1994. Yeah. And well, you know, a big part of it is because uh, Chef Erica is always there and she's making some of the greatest dishes on this island. Oh, they got some real island favorites in my book. The tuna nachos, the arugula salad with warm goat cheese. How can you go wrong? Totally. And you know what's really cool is that the dishes are crafted with fresh local ingredients. Yeah. And the menu, you know, it changes too. They have exciting seasonal changes to the menu. So, you know, what you find on there in the spring, it'll be different by the fall. Yeah. And they're always great no matter what there. But hey, you know what I really love doing is sitting at the bar because they have an amazing wine list. And when Rosemary's bartending, she makes a Rosarita, if you know what I'm saying. Uh And she also rich. Here's one of the things she does. She makes martinis with just the right amount of ice shavings floating on the top oh i love that sheen you know along with partners brad and ann Martins, eli's features a warm friendly staff of local island service industry veterans and they're there and they're going to make sure that your experience is absolutely perfect and they've got an extended season march to november and then they open back up for new year's yeah i've been there for new year's it's fun cool so, but they don't take reservations so you will notice because it's so great there's a line out the door yeah i'm going to check the menu first online at eli's Black BlockIsland.com. Gosh, Rich, it must be really nice to own a house on Block Island. Uh, it, you know what? I feel so blessed and lucky, but you know, maybe you'll get one soon. Hey, you never know, but I'll tell you what, when I'm ready to shop for a house, I am going straight to Lila Delman Compass. A good call. Yeah, Compass is the number one independent brokerage in the entire United States. You know, Lila Delman Compass here on Block Island, they're the leader in Rhode Island's luxury real estate. They were the number one firm on Block Island in 2021. Yeah, and uh, their sales manager, Rosemary Tobin, she's the island's top producing agent with more than double the sales volume of her closest competitor last year. Well, you know what? If you look, too, at the numbers for Block Island and compare 2022 to 2021, the first quarters, there's been a 21% increase in the average sales price. And the and as far as the market goes, there's been a 42% decrease in the days on the market. So things are moving for yeah, good money. You know, it's, it's a real hot. interesting time in the market. So, you know, look, whether you're looking to buy, sell, or rent, Lila Delman Compass can assist you with any of your real estate needs from the island to the mainland to across the country. Yeah, they're... they're 
they're the best, I think. And, uh, you know, you, you like I said, right, rent, buy, get yourself yeah. out here, you know. Maybe, All right. Maybe rent to look around to buy. That's I'm gonna the start, way to go. I'm going to start saving my pennies. All right. Thanks again to those sponsors. And we are back for some more great chat with uh, David Lewis. David, you were uh, about to get into uh, some of the folks here on the island that uh, had a profound influence on your life. That's correct. Um and I don't mean to exclude anybody, but there's a limit to how many people you can talk about, or yes. you can be, you can be, remember at a point in time when you're actually writing stuff down. We all, uh, yeah, you know, it's, we it's, we run into this all the time. We 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 have a lot of people to thank right. for, for taking part and supporting our podcast, and and we always blanket every thanks we give out with a statement. Please, if we've forgotten someone, we, we apologize. It's not, not a slight. So right. you're, you're covered under our blanket uh, okay. policy. No worries. So I've already spoken. About Gertrude Ball, yeah. I covered her. I had another point on her, but I also brought it out with the patriotic songs and the George M. Cohen songbook. Yeah, I actually used to sing George M. Cohen's songs to my kids when I was putting them to bed in their cribs at night. That was a real hit <laughs> for me, anyway. Is that where your kids cried a lot? Then that's what you're saying. Oh, right? I know. Now, just, just kidding. Hopefully, they slept. <laughs> um. So. I should mention. I need to mention Luella Ball as well, who was Martha's mother, and she was a teacher in, mostly in the high school. And the point about Luella is, she was my high school high school equivalent of Gertrude Ball. She was always there, solid and steadfast. And I need to acknowledge her as well because so many other teachers in the school were transient, but these two. Mrs. Balls, and there was a third one after I got out of high school. Um, at that point, they could be called Mrs. Gertrude, Mrs. Luella, and Mrs. Jessie. <laughs> but anyway, these two ladies, Gertrude and Luella, were part of the formative experience of my high school years from an education and a character point of view. So enough said. Marilyn Ken Rose, that would be Clifford Rose's parents. Now, Cliff was my best friend all th- from the earliest recollection, we went to school together for 12 years, and we were friends when we were both in college, and um, it, it just continued. We, you know, as you all age, you, friendships change, and and you, you go on, and you don't necessarily live in the same communities or the same places in time. Your paths don't cross quite as much, but, you know, Block Island was at a loss when the cliff died at such an early age. But... I'll always remember him as my best friend for the, all those years going together to school. And I mentioned Bernice Rose earlier, too, so she's part of that family as well. But Marilyn and Kenneth, obviously, I, I spent a lot of time with them because I spent a lot of time with Cliff. Yeah. Go, nothing more needs to be said. Fred Benson. Now, Fred, we all know Fred, and those who didn't know him personally know of him as being a friend to everyone. Um, he was a shop teacher. But beyond that, he was always available to help me personally on outside projects that I was working on that I needed some help on or he thought he could help me on. So the circumstances that come up was until I figured out how to do it myself three years in a row, cleaning the carburetor on my outboard so I could get it started every spring, for example. <laughs> or things like patching patching the corner where my transom on my wood skiff met the sideboards, um, where it was all rotting away and needed some, not only re- refastening, but it needed to have the leak stop too with lap patches and white lead. You know, that kind of instruction 
lives with you forever, ever. And that kind of friend lives with you forever, too, because you're always learning something from those kinds of interactions. And that's a lot of what this list is made out of. Um, Linus Dodge. I mentioned Linus earlier, I think, as taking me out cod fishing or saving codfish tongues for me. But beyond that, he always allowed me to come with him when he would go cod fishing in the fall. And uh, he would always let me go lobstering with him when I wasn't lobstering with anybody else. I mean, I would just go with him for fun. He was a great person to be around, and he seemed to like me. And um, I enjoyed his company a whole lot. Of course, Linus Dodge is George Dodge's grandfather. Okay. Yes. Yep. And Nancy Dodge, former town manager, her grandfather-in-law. Yeah. Yep. I just saw George yesterday. He was out here. So That was the rumor that he was be yeah, out here. I know yep. he was having some work yep. done on his house. On his house, Another old house. I'm going to tell you this much. If you're going lobster and just to spend time with someone, you really do care for them. Because, well, you know, I'm a you kid, know. you know. Yeah, oh, you mean him. No, I just mean in general for yeah. you to go lobstering with someone for just yeah, for, hard because you want to be there. That's, that means a lot, yeah. you know, that you really like the person. Yeah. Um, Herbert Whitman. Um, Herbert Whitman was a retired stockbroker who bought a house down the neck in the 60s and uh, expanded it significantly, but not by today's standard. Right, right, yeah. It, right across from Sock and Pond and right across from where Cookie Lenoshi lives. Oh, yeah, down the end there. Yeah. Right. Yep. <clears throat> so he, he, he probably bought that house in the late 50s, early 60s. He was the scoutmaster and rejuvenated Troop 30, and he was... Wore a lot of hats in the community after he retired, but one of them being Scoutmaster, and he was the driving force that were working with me, and he was my driving force, the driving force behind me reaching out to become an Eagle, to earn my Eagle Scout. So he gets a lot of credit for that, and that's one of those things I'll never regret. Right. Linwood Wright. Linwood Wright was, simply put, he was just a good friend. But he, you know, some people make an impression that never goes away, and they teach you things that you can't remember, but you remember spending time and learning those things. Oh yeah, so. I could never figure Linwood out. Is that is that an understandable? Well, statement? there are some things you couldn't figure out. You're absolutely uh, okay, right. Okay, I'm not far off on that one. Not far off on that one. Like, and I just never knew. You know, one time I'd talk to him, and it would, I would, you know, I'd walk away like, wow. And other times, he just didn't want to talk to me. Right. You know, he just whatever he felt like. That's how he was. So, you know, interesting contrast, because with me, of course, so much of me took my relationship with Linwood was from the age of 30 and younger to my age. You know, again, when, you, when you're working on the man and you spend a lot less time on Block Island and your opportunity to interact with people, it becomes very short, just on weekends. Um, although, let me just say, as a segue on that, I've always considered myself a Block Islander. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Oh, I think you're fine. You know, ah, yeah. I don't yeah. think you have anything to worry about yeah. there. I've <laughs> I've worked on the mainland for 44 years, but I've only missed five Thanksgivings, five Thanksgivings on Block Island all those years. Yep. So, and I've done my role, done my part in the community, either both before I left high school and subsequently to that. So, yep. you know, there's no convincing I've paid my here. Dues. Yeah. Well, you certainly yeah. have. Anyway, uh, Jim... Three more people, and that completes what I had thought about for the, today's discussion. Jim Mott. Jim Mott plays well, has he was a former telephone man who first came here with the phone company when he when he uh, I, my first recollection is when they were stringing dial telephone lines for oh, dial wow. telephone. 
on Block Island. And there's a great photograph of my brother and me in our winter caps down by Bob Rice's house with Jim Mott and a bunch of other linemen pulling on a line for the photograph, I guess, <laughs> down there. Goes I, back to the early 50s. Somebody sent me a photograph. Maybe I'll see if I can locate it and run it by you. It's a, it's a, you know, a pole man up on the pole. And, you know, back then, only so many phone calls. There were party lines, but it was still – the phone pole had like 35. It was right by smiling through. And that pole had about 30 different phone lines on it. So I don't know if there was one for each house or one for each six houses, but there's a, I have a picture from the fifties of the phone guy up on that pole running those single lines. Yeah. uh, yeah. I'll I'll run it by you later and see if you think it's him. Um, So uh, Jim never actually, other than that cable pulling crew, I don't know that he ever worked on Black Island as a phone installer repairman. Okay. Which is what the John Donnelly's title was. And most of the guys, most of the guys that have stationed out here since John Donnelly, but John's title was installer repairman. That might be him then in the picture. It could be. Yeah. That's. Um, anyway, back to Jim. Jim did a lot of things once he moved back to moved to Block Island. He lived over in South Kingston. He was big in the fire department in South Kingston fire districts, and he was a big mover and shaker in the Block Island fire department when he was a younger man. He worked for Weldon Dodge and worked for other people's, and at some point. Once Ed, Ed Adele died, he worked for Leader Corporation, and that's where I intersected with him in that role. I knew him previous to that because he was a good friend of Marilyn and Kenneth Rose. But um, at Leader Corporation, he he was a foreman, played the role of foreman. And I guess what I, my takeaway, my point about Jim is, I knew him there as a boss, but I also knew him after he left that work and became interstate's I was gonna freight say, agent. Interstate freight guy. And we, when he was wearing that, he was just a friend. But the point is, Jim had a certain characteristic and attitude that everybody's well <laughs> enough aware of. I'm not. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll let Rich embellish on that. Though. Okay, uh, fair enough. He would, um, well, I'll tell you a Jim story. He, I knew him from Finn's. He was a very, he was a frequenter of Finn's, and he loved his fish and chips and uh, fried clams. I believe was another favorite of his. Bivalves, whole bellies. Yep. And uh, one time I went down there looking for something, and boy, he had just had it with somebody else. But he would, he would lose it, and he would give you an earful. Let you, know? you have. Yeah. It. So he started letting me have it. So you know what I did? I I walked over to him, and he's like, "What are you doing?" And I just. Gave him a big hug. And I said, every time you yell at me from now on, you're getting a hug. He never yelled at me again. <laughs> and that was how I handled that. That's a great technique. I, yeah, I, I, you know, but he laughed. You know, we laughed it off because we used to talk of at the course. restaurant. I was yeah. a young fry cook and, he, you know, he'd come in. Like that, you know, but it was a pretty funny moment. Funny. I decided that was the best way to, to try to, you know, put that back. But he, he would let you have it. No problem. Yeah, you know, he yeah. wasn't happy with you. I think that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So the point for me, though, is, you know, if you, could, if you could put that behind you and put that out of your head and just let it slide off your back as you recite. Yeah. If you were willing to listen and look and observe other skilled people do what they do, what they do and listen to how they would do something – you can learn, and that's that was my. I was the beneficiary of that, and that's the point I would make about Jim. Yeah, you know, whether it was, you know, when I was working for Lita, it was certainly painful when he's you're at, you're back in a dump truck up underneath his 
bulldoze a bucket which is full of sand up high waiting to just empty it into your truck when you get it there. And it takes three three t- attempts to back it up to where he perfectly <laughs> wants you. <laughs> you learn to do it, but you'll also learn to do it right and well. And you'll, right, right, it's yeah. something you never forget. Once you learn how to back a trailer or a truck up with mirrors – You'll never forget it. Yep. It's yep. a good skill to have. Yeah. It's a good So, you know, it, and you learn that about working with so many people. We all get grumpy. Well, we do. We, we do. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's always something to learn. And we talk about that, again, on this podcast as well. Yeah. It, you know, it just because you don't necessarily jive with someone's personality out here. Right. The fact that we're all here on this island together and need to help each other out. And need to, There are things you can learn from these people, whether or not you like them or not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I think that sometimes that gets lost over there in America. Uh, you know, when there's too many people and you're like, well, I just don't like that person, so I'm not going to, you know, pay any attention to that. Person. I'm not sure it's, it's beginning to creep in as being lost or cre- creep. It's creeping in that that is being lost here on Block Island too. Well, let's hope not. Yeah, I hope not. But it's 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 kind of a generational thing. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah it could you be know? to that as well. Yeah, I mean the days of you know there's there's still crews that do do it, but there's so many more people employed now where you're not working like that as a team side by side. Right. And, you know. Yeah. You know. In those, I, yeah, I think you know. there's just the dynamic of the work environment's different now. Right. But mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. So who else have? Um, Albert Northup. Um, Ed Northup. Do we know Ed Northup? I know yeah, yeah, Northup yeah. electrician. Was no, that no, this is Ed. No. Uh, Ed's kids both worked with me. Oh. And it, it, he's the dad, Andy and um, is, Andrew is, and Mark Andrew and Sarah. And Mark and Sarah, yeah. Right. And Sarah and Andrew both worked with me at Finns. So right. I, so that's, that's how I knew the family. That's Ed. Ed. Ed's so kids. This is Ed's father Ed, and mother? Ed's father. Ed's father. Ed's oh, father. Okay. Albert Northup. So I, I like to tell people that he was the, the best. He was a heavy equipment operator extraordinaire, extraordinaire before Gene Hall. Wow. Oh, Everybody go. knows how, how good Gene Hall was operating heavy equipment. Yep. yep. And, and the people that are taking over for him now, you know, the, the Revos and the Mike Ernst and all, they're equally adept. Yeah, Mike would, is a good one. I yeah. would imagine, though, the technology back then obviously wasn't what it is today. So the controls must have been a little oh, more yeah. dicey yeah. to work with, right? You know, you're probably working a clutch with one foot hand and the foot and the stick yeah. shift and the bucket with the other the trying to do the wheel with your yeah. elbow i mean i've seen some guys know. like these days pick up like just t- like the things that a quarter yeah it's amazing <laughs> yeah but like, it's like but, a joystick like yeah. a video game yeah yeah hey now they're de- demeaning your job you guys Not at you all. do a great job i can't do that i don't think they had the joystick that did every single thing <laughs> on the tractor back then you know like you were really, but it was yeah. getting closer so uh, the last time drove uh gene hall bowled the field next to my house would it be a winter, two winters ago? It amazed me that he did back and fill turns at every corner with the new, with the machine he had. It's been a long time since I've actually seen him actually doing any mowing while I was witnessing it. So I went out, to, I was always talking to Gene when I would see him, and I, I made that mention to him. And he essentially had, because the idea of shifting a, a big tractor every, at every corner on an 11 acre field. It's sort of mind-boggling <laughs> in terms of t- degree of difficulty. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. stress. Not stress, just hassle as opposed to making a, a wide sweep. Anyway, he, sh- he told me that, that his tractor had exactly what you had. One lever did it all. Yeah. It was yep. a joystick. Yeah. I didn't see it, but that's the impression he left me. But I, I learned that my first tractor was a old tractor, and it was the 
you know, the, the, the throttle was hand, you move the throttle with your hand and you, and it was high and low, like six gears of each, but it was all clutch driven. And, you know, it was, it was not as easy. You need to have some coordination. Yeah. And then you had one lever made the thing rise and fall. Another made it, made the bucket rotate, you know, so you didn't quite, you still had to move a lot of stuff to, to get it. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, so anyway, Al, I was Al's rake and shovel man for the, my first year, my first summer after the summer after my first year in college. I was uh, his rake and shovel guy. Well, we built seventeen septic systems down in the minister's lot that summer. Oh, that's a job <laughs> oh. I don't think I ever. I couldn't do it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's backbreaking. It's honestly too hard to work for me. That's so he would insist to me. I lost ten ten pounds that summer. I was yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I should do it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should but, do it for about eight summers. <laughs> I was always a gung-ho kind of guy, and he wouldn't tell me to let the machine do it. Let the machine do it. You just do whatever the machine can't do. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He would have to pull rein me in. And then the other thing Al would say is, uh, tell me is, oh, I have an unsatiable ability to eat. Is that the right word? Adjective? Well, Doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. That's all right. That's good. I have, I have a... Unlimited capacity to eat. Okay. That's better. But you're so svelte. How do you... Yeah. Well, because I... Because bur- you're, cause you're the rake bur- and shovel guy. I don't, I don't eat as much anymore. Okay. Yeah. All right. But he also said, you know, you, you, you live to... You eat to stay alive, not to kill you. Right. <laughs> so always live with me. That's a, that's eat, good eat, advice. Eat to live, don't live to right. eat. Is that how the other one goes? Something yeah, like that. Right. Something, Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Though the last person in this category is Bo Gamp. Uh, so Bo, we've all got our man. own Bo Gimp stories, but you know he's another person that's been very good to me f- in different ways over the years. In my, you know, I was great friends with his kids, Lisa especially. She's a couple of years younger than me. Peter and Eric are younger, but you know, good friends with all of them. I guess there's probably 15 years between Eric and me, but. Um, Helen and Bo have always good, been good friends to me as well as good friends to my wife. And stands out in my college years. Obviously, I wasn't married then. So Bo lived in Warren, Rhode Island. Right. He was always trekking down to Block Island, and I was looking for I was always looking for a way to get to the Bo. You know, getting to Providence was easy by bus, but getting from bus from Providence down to the Friday night Bo to coming home on Sundays was always a challenge back in the early 70s and late 60s. So... Uh, uh, I would call Bo on Thursday night and ask him if he was going to the island, and we agreed what time I would meet him at the Providence tra- uh, bus station. And uh, he'd pick me up, take me to the boat, and I'd drive back for him on Sunday nights. And that was so many weekends in the fall and early winter. Whenever he'd be going to Block Island, you know how many trips he w- how often he would come. So he was very good to me in that respect. But, you know, that was just something worth, worth note. Well, and I think he was good to... Block Island and everyone here. Oh, he too, was. You know, it so it really, continues you know. a little bit. Um, so when I when I restarted my lobster, I restarted lobstering after after my summer jobs at lobstering. Life got too busy and I didn't have a boat, <laughs> so I didn't have a boat for another twenty five years. Two challenges. Two challenges. <laughs> so I um I wanted to get back into lobstering again, so I bought a, a nice fourteen foot boat and an outboard to suit that didn't need any work, so it was fiberglass. And uh, I needed some mentoring on getting restarted in things I'd long ago forgotten about lobstering. 
And uh, so he helped me through some of the things that I didn't know how he did things in terms of tying gear and using wire traps was a whole something totally new to me. Yeah, you saw when you did it the first time, wood, so, the wooden cars, well, right? The, the all wood, wooden traps. All wooden traps, yeah. 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 So anyway, and there's been a thousand things in between. And uh, two lists recite, but if there's a common theme on all of these people that I've mentioned and my, what I felt about them was the fact that they all contributed to me being a smarter person, a more capable person, a more interesting person, and um, a more skillful person because they contributed to all of those facets in my life. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. I also should mention the whole list of people that I work with at Electric Boat over 44 years, and especially the late 20, the last 28 years when I changed career paths into became a self-taught IT guy. And uh, continuously, I had I was working with people that were willing to teach me, were willing to share what they knew, and were willing to um, help at every opportunity. So, you know, they heard me that say that to them uh, when I when they threw a retirement party for me in 2018 and uh, that's when the tears shed. It made that meant that much to me, meant that much to me and I feel the same way about these folks. Yep. And so. that's that's amazing stuff. We didn't uh I we, I don't even know what we have for time left because I still had some questions. We still have a few minutes if you'd can, like. So, can we are, are you can we ask a question or Sure, two? absolutely. Um, because the two things I wanted to ask about was you were a shipbuilder, right? Is that what, did you do that Still for a am. living? Once it's, a shipbuilder, always uh, okay. a shipbuilder. Okay, yep, sorry, corrected. Especially um, if you don't leave the industry. Right. So did you work on what, what was your what was your part of shipbuilding? So right? here's the quick drill. The quick, <laughs> the quick shtick. He's been asked this question before. <laughs> Actually, that was the last thing I'd written down. I, Perfect. Um, yeah, no, I wanted to hear about it. Like, did you get to work on like shipping ships or submarines or what did you? Yes, or and everything? yes, yes. Oh, and yes. oh so, look at so, all. Oh. It, it starts with graduating from college and okay. my, with my biology degree. I studied biology because I was interested in it. Not that I intended to spend the rest of my life making a living that way, but it was that's what you go to a liberal arts college for. It is to. Not necessarily learn a trade or a craft, but to come away with a combined skill set that crosses no boundaries. Well, and it crosses all boundaries. I, I could say. see where biology plays into growing up on Block Island, too, yeah. surrounded by yeah. nature. You know, I was I was particularly interested in human physiology, though, and I, that was just my own personal choice. That's so funny. I, I was interested in that too in college. Really? <laughs> I don't. Uh, different, different. <laughs> I don't think he means the same. Oh, okay. Never. No, sorry. Maybe I need some refresher courses. He didn't uh, say just specifically female physiology. He, yeah. he said yeah. human Oh, got you. Physiology, right. Okay. You know. So anyway, <laughs> that same summer that I was a police... Oh, no. Forget the police dispatcher job. So the last summer of... After I, the summer after I graduated from college, I stayed and worked with Leader Corporation throughout the winter and the following summer. And then it was... Then it was, that's when I, the following summer, a year later, that I became the police dispatcher as well, still working for leader in the summertime. So if I'm correct in understanding, and this happens to a lot of kids from out here, you, you came back and this was your point where you had a degree, but you were still lingering around Block Island doing the different things you do. Yeah, but not because I needed a year off. A year off. I really, no, didn't, know, I, I really I didn't know what I wanted to well, do. Well, that's what I mean. And that, yeah. you know, and, and, and the temptation is easy because 
I know what to do if I go back there for a little while. You know, right. I, I have my degree, but I can just go back and do, you know, yeah. something out on Block Island. That, by the way, that's the exact reason I'm here. <laughs> it's true. Except he I, went on to build ships. I know. He went, I know. Yeah. He didn't end up, yeah. There's a difference. Yeah, he wasn't, yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, but no, for real, that's why right. I'm here. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So you came back to Block Island and dispatching and... So I, I saw a, I, I saw an advertisement um, in the spring, when was that? I saw an advertisement in the newspaper for apprentice shipfitters. A shipfitter is a person who assembles, it's like a carpenter working with steel and welding torches instead of hammering up wooden nails. So basically you're building the structure of a ship. Um, Everything to do with steel, not sheet metal. So anyway, there was a four-year apprenticeship for an apprentice program in shipbuilding. And I decided to apply for that as an, and do that work as an apprentice because I've given me the opportunity to do what else? Learn something while I figured out what I wanted to do. Well, guess what? I never left. That's so, it. That was it. I served a four-year four apprenticeship, went through a 17-week strike that took didn't was no time on task because it was 14, four years and 17 weeks before I finished that, that. And then I worked with the tools for a year, and then I went – I wanted to get into sal- on salvage, so I took a job as an assistant welding engineer with no qualifications other than I knew how to build ships. Yeah. Didn't know anything about Experience. welding. Experience, right? <laughs> Once again, learning from other people. I was know? really waiting for a job as a foreman to open up as a supervisor because the history of apprentices in shipyards anyway was that apprentices would become the feeding ground for future supervision and super future leaders in, in management. So that was the appeal. So I got the opportunity to take a supervisor's job a year later. And in tall, I, that was good for me, although it wasn't necessarily good for my nerves. Um, I, I spent seven years in soup in management, starting as a foreman, working up the general foreman and steel trades manager. So I filled that role, those roles for seven years. And then, so we built liquefied natural gas tankers for most of that time. We, we had a contract that was part of the, the reason I got, they were starting another apprentice class because they would just begin in a, a contract for, to build eight, 960 foot liquefied natural gas tankers, the largest ever. Eight of them. Eight of them. And then we got a contract for two more. So we had plenty of work and I worked on Parts of all of those ships, both building physically building portions myself, as well as um, supervising the construction of those ships. Um, and you know, commercial, the American commercial shipbuilding industry was falling on hard times because there was less and less Navy money floating around to build naval ships, oh, surface okay. naval ships, and we I never built any surface naval ships while I was there. And um, the, so the commercial, the the water backlog for building commercial ships in this company, the, simply put, the Japanese and the Koreans were eating our lunch. So it was just a matter of time before um, American shipbuilding for commercial surface ships was just going to disappear. Or as I like to say, they were taking your codfish tongues. Yes, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I. Uh, um, we did get another ship to build five maritime preposition ships for the U.S. Maritime Administration, and the role of these ships, which were about 600 feet long, was to act as a prepositioning 
all the cargo in foreign on foreign in foreign waters, and as well as delivered to and delivered. Let me start again. <clears throat> the purpose of these ships was to be a warehouse to store on the ocean enough tanks, jeeps, vehicles, gasoline, other materials to supply a third of a battalion for a month. So oh, like, so a, like a floating, floating, floating storage shed. Yeah, warehouse. You, you warehouse yeah. We had a contract to build five of them. How many levels are in one of those, do you think? Um, well, I can tell you there were two roll-on, roll-off. There were three, four roll-on, roll-off areas that would be for rolling vehicles on and off. And then there were three holes up forward of that that would be simply four holes being four layers deep of carrying containers on the on the, on the the bottom of the ship. And then above decks, they all had hatch covers. Above those, you carry another four levels of containers. Oh, along wow. With, along with cranes, along with cranes to unload them all onto shoreside facilities or onto to barges. And you said third of a battalion. A third of a battalion. So three so of these we ships... We didn't house any of the men, though. Right, but but when the ships were done, these three of these ships could transport a, a, a complete battalion to a war zone. Right. That's that's yeah. amazing. The, the, uh, additionally, there was a stern loading ramp for getting vehicles, driving them on and off, but they would also release amphibious vehicles directly into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and let them motor to wherever they were going to go. Wow. Oh, my. You, you must get the plans for something like that and be like, huh? <laughs> you want us <laughs> to build a what? Which way? <laughs> so that we, you know, because yeah. I mean. Uh, the engineering, I mean, how many? And you must have hundreds of engineers on these. To operate them? No, operate, I'm d- d- sorry, designing. Designing this. them? No, probably less than 100, 150, oh, wow. 200. What did you say, hundreds? I thought it would be, yeah. Yeah. Wow, but still, yeah, a lot of engineering. Yeah, well, you know, there was nothing uniquely new. Even the wide design was unique. To there was nothing new about building the pieces and the parts. pieces oh, and okay. parts. Okay. Yeah. yeah, So, um, like the puzzles cut in different shapes, but it's still a puzzle. You put it together and right. it's just gotcha. different sizes. Okay. Huh. So it was just a matter of time before Quincy, the shipyard. This was the Quincy shipyard in Massachusetts. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, and uh, it was just a matter of time before it was going to go out of business, which it did. And they needed enough people to stick around long enough to get the ships completed. So I was on a list that said, I'll stay until they lay me off as a general foreman. And at that point, I went back and, you know, they didn't cut your pay, but I went back and doing the work of a foreman, and uh, which is fine. I knew how to do that stuff, too. And... Uh, then they would give me salary continuation for six months while I would find another job. So what I found during those six months is the world didn't really have any appreciation for what the shipbuilding environment was like from a skill set point of view. And they also didn't have any appreciation for how transferable all of those skills were to other industries because they just didn't, you know, you just didn't get any interest when you put resumes out. Right, right, and um, that wasn't a, that was a that was a surprise to me because I knew what skills I had, but conveying that it was next to impossible. And people just didn't trust you, didn't trust the concept that you could take a, a blue collar work environment like that and turn it into um, another skill set in a white collar environment. One of the things I think I did want to do was get out of supervision because I learned that. 
there were too many things that I couldn't control about at least working in supervision in Quincy Shipyard that I couldn't control, but nevertheless affected my performance. Right. Yeah. Which points directly at advancement and to pay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, anyways, for that reason, I was looking for a different career path. So I interviewed at, at a missile plant in California. I interviewed at a to build a a new facility to run the job, run the project for to build a new facility for a guy that was building high technical, high tech filtration systems on Route 128, the Technology Highway in Massachusetts. And I interviewed at an electric boat in Quonset Point. The, the local GD subsidiaries building submarines. So for lots of reasons, I chose to take a job as a, in a in a manufacturing engineering organization in uh, Quonset Point, figuring that that was a good segue into what I thought I might. It was a good segue into move staying in shipbuilding as well as getting my feet wet in an area that I didn't have to change my home yet. I still live in Sharon, Massachusetts. So I went down there, and I was very happy there. And over the course of three years, I got intimately involved with implementing the first manufacturing resources planning software there. And, you know, from there it was just numerous leaps and jumps to becoming a self-taught IT guru. And really? IT tech, yeah. Wow. I mean, wow. across 28 years, learning every time and being helped by a lot of people. My job eventually moved to being fully located down in, in Groton, next door to Mark. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and we moved to Coventry a year later, Coventry, Rhode Island, yeah. and it was equidistant to either place, so driving was not a problem. But I was very happy there, and even though I never built a sh- I never did anything to actually build a ship once, once I left Quincy, Shipbuilding runs through that knowledge base. It was helpful in everything that I did because the services I was providing, the work I was doing was in direct support of manufacturing processes and direct support of scheduling and planning and um, trade performance. One of those things I love, (laughs) trade (laughs) performance for cost and schedule and material management. You know, you needed to know shipbuilding to a and particularly the the delivery of a ship and how a ship gets delivered and built and delivered. You know, the farther you get away from the manufacturing portion of it, of making small parts into bigger parts, the closer you – once you get into the building ways, everything hits the fan because the assumption is any any schedule for building – doing a large construction project, whether it's – the only difference between a – major difference between a surface ship – and the Empire State Building is that one stands upright and doesn't move. <laughs> it's, not, it's not supposed to be. The other one lies horizontal in the water, yeah. and it's not supposed to go down, And but it is supposed to move. And a submarine is 10 layers more complicated than that because of yeah. all the other things it's supposed to do. No. So I spent the rest of my career working on submarines and the, all of the facets of building it. Did you have to have like security clearance and I had um, did you have to keep secrets like I had a secret secret clearance with the US government. Wow. I was also one of the many many thousands of people whose whose personal information was stolen because the government in those days that was managed it wasn't the navy that was controlling um, security clearances it was the office of personnel management OPM. And of course they got hacked. <laughs> So all of oh, my yeah, all of my yeah. personal personal data associated with my clearance, 
you know, name, rank, serial number, social security number, and my wife's social security number. Didn't have to provide security numbers for all my kids or their wives, but right, names but and they, addresses. They, and that's the target for these yeah. hackers. You that's know? the that's... difference between the, the Pentagon and the rest of the executive branch. I, I don't know if I – have I ever said on this podcast I got a – I had a client who's a – cybersecurity and i thought i was really smart by naming my internet here in block island state police he goes oh no that's that's like a magnet that's where they want to get, as soon as they see that if they think your internet is actually the state police they're gonna they're gonna try to get in at you and right. i was like oh geez you know like i never thought of it that way yeah i mean that's what they you know i should have said they, i should have named it like grandma's recipes yeah because yeah. <laughs> yeah. nobody wants that yeah. info. right right so so anyway but wow. it was a delightful it was a great career very rewarding um, you know, the one thing I'm taking away from this interview, and I, I've learned a lot, believe it or not, through your conversation, but the one thing I've learned about you that I think is you're a man who likes to continue to learn. You like to learn from other people, and you have a great appreciation for all those people that took time to help you learn. And Because it, it, you, you talk back to third grade all yeah. the way to learning it up through you know the yeah. end of your you know the later years of your career and i mean all that time like you said foreman on you know you started as a journeyman and somebody's teaching you how to do stuff you know what i mean and i yeah. think that's a, and i think that's incredible in the appreciation for all those people because you you know that that foundation you know really was there for you and even if it was just fred was it fred benson yeah. teaching you how to take the carburetor off of your boat motor so you could fix it every day you know i mean every year to get it running again and i mean that's you know so i i think you you really share an amazing appreciation for how important it is and i i hope people learn from that that take take time like you took time with us you're educating us right now yeah, like, yeah. that's kind of how i feel and and our listeners and i think that that's an important message to people that you know take some time out of your busy day and share something you know how to do that somebody else doesn't and teach them how to do it you know and i mean that's a important lesson I absolutely think. well thank you for all yeah. that you know Actually, there's a lesson to be taken away here for Block Island kids, too, because the, the, there's golden opportunities for people to learn trades as apprentices on Block Island, especially oh. because, you know, we all know what that means. And um, uh, so, you know, Ray Reynolds is, is a, has served as an apprenticeship for under Ray um Oh, uh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, the, um, the furnace uh, guy. Yeah, yeah. Roger, well, I, Roger Albert. Yep, yep. And now he's taking on Alex Hart as an apprentice. Alex Hart's apprenticing on him. And I yeah. was really excited to hear that. Yeah. And Alex is a good kid. He and I talk a lot. And I told him how excited I was to hear that because I told him about my story, about serving an apprenticeship and how valuable yep. it was to me. And, uh, you know... I was glad to hear he he was undecided at the point whether he was going to do it, and he, he finally decided to do it. I don't know that I made made him make the right decision. I think he made that on his own. Yeah, but but um, a little support, you know, it's a little bit of support, and to know that other people have done it and think it's the right thing to be doing. I, I think. I mean, I think the trades have gotten a bad. I think not lately, enough. Yeah. my mom was a voc ed teacher. She taught landscape design uh, in a vocational school, and uh, I think. You know, when when she was teaching when I was in high school, it was a stigma if you were going to the Vogue school. You were right, one of the dumb right. kids. Yeah. But nowadays, I do feel like I've been over the last two, even very recently two or three years, I've been seeing more of a support for the vocational yes. aspect yeah. of, of of schooling and, and education. They, you know, they end up some of the vo some of the I've vocations said, make as when, much as a doctor. When did. I was running the two restaurants and Captain Nick's. 
I was like, I will personally pay for some island kid out here that's graduating to go to HVAC. There's not one HVAC guy. Could never get anyone yeah. to fix the refrigerator. All of those. I mean, yeah. the guys yeah. that, I, that I... Plumbers, electricians, yeah. there's a big shortage now. Yeah. So. Yep. You know, well, um, just what, just continuing on that note, just in terms of a public service announcement. So I go to all the utility district monthly meetings. And there's a lot of good things happening over there that everybody sees. One of the things that good things that's happening is a guy like Evan Carey, who has been, he's recently earned his certification as a linesman, some class of linesman. Um, It was in the paper a couple of weeks ago with a photograph, but the point is, and Jeffrey, I'm not telling you things that I've discovered. I'm just mouthing, repeating stuff that he says in his, in the open meetings to his board, you know, that whole team over there is aging out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there's jobs. There are jobs to be had for island kids if they want to make a commitment to yep. that kind of work. Um, you know, there are jobs that will become open, not necessarily on a specific time frame, but, you know, it's there are opportunities there. And we just met one of the new young fellas um, right after we did our live podcast. And right after the live podcast, I met the new young lineman who's starting up uh, – well, I don't know if I'm sure this isn't discussed at the board meetings, but you do know that Evan Carey asked to marry my daughter. No, congratulations. Yeah, so he asked her. So, yeah. So Which he's, one? Madison. Ma- so he's he's going to be my son in law. Madison's the one that does the, the sculpture, arts, uh, wood sculptures, yeah. like yeah. the Wales Well, congratulations yeah, to you, so, her, and him. Oh, I, I like yeah. him a lot. He's a great addition to the family, you know. Great, so, great. but, but, um, you know, and it was great to meet this other young fellow who's just, of course, number one question. Yeah, if you hear of any housing, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back you know, to we, that. We make fun of that in every aspect, not because it's a serious problem and it's a challenge, but, you know. So, so you're saying they've hired another young I think trainee? so. Yep. Excellent. I teaching, showing the ropes to a new young fella that's recently begun. So it, it was, uh, you know, and that's good watching that, you know, happen. So And um, not, not that it's going to make a difference over at the utility district, but around that board of directors tables, you know, they talk about – Barbara McMullen leads the discussion that talks about the opportunities for island apprenticeships in general. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, the things that could happen. Unfortunately, the government with licensing, has, I've heard, has put made some challenges where the apprenticeship requires the hours of work and journeyman work dovetailed with classes. Mm-hmm. So if you're on the mainland, you can work all day for an electrician and go do your three-hour class at night. But I heard that that's a big challenge for kids here to to do both at the same time because to have to go and and do the the it's just over there you can do it you stop on your way home it's a long day you get the class out of the way you go home and eat dinner but here you got to get you know we all know but right. these are challenge hey they survivors you know online figure, classes figure it out there's a to- a corner to be turned oh we're I'll, I've just gotten the signal we're getting near the end. Um, it's too bad, too. I had a bunch more stuff to talk about. Maybe you'll come back and visit us again. Please. I'm at your leisure. Well, that All would right. be lovely. This, cool. is, this has been we great for me, too. We need to talk about your kids. And we have so we much. Can. So much more um, we can talk about. We do do, since I think you've only listened to the beginning of some of our podcasts, we do do a silly thing that we call the lightning round. They're just fun little questions. First thing that pops into your head, nothing fancy. So you're ready to go? Ready to go. All right. I'll go first. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great-great-grandchildren? <laughs> Wasn't prepared for that one, but in a quick response, the future. Nice. Ah, good. Uh, question number two, what's your favorite season? I don't have one. I enjoy them all. Good enough. Good answer. If you could learn any language in one week, what language would you pick? French. Who would you rather meet? 
George Washington or the current president? George Washington. I'd be the same, I think. Uh, yeah, me too. Um, oh, and this one could be tricky because of our earlier conversation. Name a song that makes you happy. <sighs> Whatever I'm looking <laughs> This morning it was, <laughs> what was the name of that song? Sultans of Swing. Oh, oh Dire Straits. Well, maybe that's the band. Yeah. No, no, Dire Straits dire is the band. Sultans of Swing. Okay, ready? Uh, next question. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Block Island Sunset or Sunrise? Sunrise. All right, that there wraps it, it up. Hey, listeners, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the this episode of the podcast. Yeah. And thank you so much to our guest. Uh, this has been really great and informative, and I've just had a really uh, good time. If you want to reach out to us with any uh, questions or comments, you just reach out to two guys on bi at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on all of the proper social media channels and uh, whatever platform you listen to uh, our podcast on. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And more importantly, just tell your friends about the podcast because that's really how the word gets around. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, David, thank for you, taking David. time with us. We really appreciate it very much. Thank you, gentlemen. This has been my pleasure as well. This has been a great all conversation. Right. Until next time. All right. See you next week, Mark. See you next week, Rich. Hey, Rich. Yeah? Um, do you have a knife on you that I could borrow? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. I got some uh, codfish out in the uh, trunk of my car. I'm going to go slice the tongues out and see uh, how they taste. Yeah, let me know how that goes. What shall we do with the sailor? What shall we do with the